Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for attending. And now, without further ado, to answer your questions, we welcome Commissioner Carl Benson. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for attending today's press conference. Uh, at a time when there are so many uncertainties facing intercollegiate athletics, I thought that this would be a good opportunity to address some of those issues. Uh, who's got the first question? I got a question. Uh, Trent Krim from the Independent. <laughs> really? Trent Krim from the Independent? Are you kidding me? What's your question? Well, well what makes you qualified to be a commissioner? And alive. That's the best that you can have at a time when, when we've got all these issues facing us, and that's the best question you have? That's the stupidest question I've ever heard. And really... Who let this guy in? For diehard and casual college basketball fans, it's the very best time of the year. March Madness is arriving for a school near you, and it won't be long until we all have our brackets printed out and we're ready to start being fans of teams we don't normally care about. But what is it like for folks on the NCAA Basketball Tournament Selection Committee? They're tasked with setting up those brackets, making sure the best and most deserving 69 teams get their chance to go to the big dance. For them, it's been months of hard work. This week on Knutson and the Commission, Carl talks about what it's like to be on the selection committee. He served a five-year term on the committee two decades ago. Some things have changed and others haven't. We get Carl's takes on what goes into setting up those brackets we're all eager to see on this week's episode. It's next, right here on Knutson and the Commission. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall. Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. Learning life skills through baseball, USA Prime is more than just travel baseball. We mentor young athletes in areas like teamwork and skill development. It's about more than winning weekend tournaments. It's about showing young players how to achieve their goals in baseball and beyond. Contact Scott Horman at USAPrimeColorado at gmail.com for more information. If you are a college basketball fan, this is the most wonderful time of the year. This is the time everybody looks for. In fact, people who aren't college basketball fans become college basketball fans when the calendar turns to March. And March Madness is right around the corner, Carl. It, it is an awesome time of year. You've described it as the best postseason in all of sports. You could very well be right about that. Certainly when it comes to engagement with people who aren't necessarily fans of the sport itself, this is the time for office pools and so on and so forth. Everybody's got their brackets out. But let's start out by talking about <clears throat> what leads up to Selection Sunday before the brackets come out. Um, how, the, how things are kind of whittling down now to that final 60, 68 teams now. It, it, it's a process. As you as a committee member, and you were a committee member for a long time, this is not just something you show up on Sunday and start doing. You guys have a lot of prep going into this. Absolutely, Mark. And uh, before I go there, I'll, I'll tell you that uh... – my daughter, who experienced uh, all these Final Fours during her time and you know, hasn't missed one since uh, 2002 or three, I believe, uh, she's also a big college football fan. She calls the bowl season the most wonderful time of the year, but she calls March Madness the happiest time of the year. Huh. So okay. she, uh, see, the, these are, this is her now. She's approaching her uh, yep. happy Happy, happy, happy time. Happy but, time, uh, happy time. But it's yeah, work time so for the, whatever, people, that, the yeah, people on the committee. It's work time, right? It <laughs> is. And it's, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big time uh, consumption that, you know, committee members are, are either athletic directors, current athletic directors, or current commissioners. You know, there are no coaches on this committee. Right. It's one of the few sport committees where there are no coaches because it's right in the heart of their season. And no, and, and, just don't have and no retired people like, you know, former guy, former commissioners. So like, you have to be active in the game. 
you have to be active in your in your jobs in your employment and and usually the the proportion it is uh, seven or eight athletic directors and you know two or three commissioners you know at at any one time uh, and again my time on the committee was 2002 three four and five and six I had a five year term uh, it was the first group of commissioner or first group of committee members that went from a four year term to a five-year term. And they joked that the reason that it went to a five-year term was because Benson being a non-basketball person needed that one extra year to really get up uh, up to speed on the sport of basketball. So uh, I was in the first class of, of five-year uh, committee people, but it, it starts, you know, it starts first of November when, when the first polls come out and, and we're instructed to kind of do our own preseason poll. And again, this this goes back 20 years now. It's changed a little bit in terms of, of how dependent you might be on polls and, and some of the, the, the various rankings. But right. still, I think you had to get a benchmark at the beginning of the season as to you know, who, should, you know, who should we really look at. So that process started back in, you know, in November and you know, regular season games would start around Thanksgiving. And, you know, and we're all trying to do our day jobs yeah, uh, and that being in the middle of the football season, yep. but when it really when it really kicked in was was about January fifteenth. You know, back in those days, you know, you depended on on Dish or Directv for your television opportunities. There was very little streaming, and yep. committee members would you know would be issued a, a subscription to both Dish TV or Directv, and sometimes you'd have a both satellites on your house so you could maximize the number of games that you're able to, to watch today with with ESPN plus and the fact that you know that there's you know, there isn't a game that you can't watch yeah and record uh, and watch yeah and, some of the point yeah. and record and watch for sure so <laughs> you know it uh, you know and me not being a basketball you know junkie so to speak you know I probably evaluated different than than other committee members who maybe had coached or, or had played and you know, I kind of set some of my own rules in terms of what was important to me. And, and that was the beauty of the committee, too, was that, that we, we came from different sectors. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and there were a lot of, lot of debates. Today, there is so much analytics involved and so much yeah. data versus when we had it. But we still had our own, you know, we still had our own uh, system, so to speak, to, you know, to, to evaluate. And, and I always had one, you know, that was, I think it still holds to today is who did you play, where was the game played, and did you win or lose the game? And, you know, and that I didn't take into account whether, you know, one of the players was injured right. or, or a coach was out or, or what type of style, you know, if the team was playing a slowdown opponent. Right. Uh, I just kind of took that as, as, my, as my holy grail, so to speak. And, and now tell me who you were watching because – there are conferences, Colonial and all those, who are win-bid leagues. They're going to be win-bid bid leagues, right? And you don't necessarily have to watch the regular season because whoever wins their tournament is going to be in. They're not somebody you're looking at at large. But on the other hand, you are looking to see how good they are in, re in relation to where they might be seated because all conference champions are not seated alike. How, who, how many games – who were you watching? Were you watching the small schools? Yeah. Were you watching the, the middle of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and, Pac and the Big 12 and all that? Or were you watching the little guys too? Yeah, each uh, each committee member, and it still occurs today, and it happened. You know, the CFP selection process was really derived from the 
NCAA basketball yeah. process, Bill yeah. Hancock having been with the NCAA basketball. So a lot of the same policies and procedures that the football guys are using, the basketball guys used. And one of those was, was a conference monitoring program. Each committee member was, you know, was given, you know, three conferences to be their primary person that, that really dove into those three conferences and knew everything about those conferences. Okay. At the same time, you know, getting a, a broader look at, you know, at the rest of the field. You know, Mark, I always thought that my time on the committee, and it was just self, self-delegated, self so to speak, is that I was always watching for the little guys. And, okay. you know, I was the, I was a member of the, I was the commissioner of the WAC during that time. And the WAC was one of the, you know, the premier, you know, yes. football conferences, but it also had some, you know, some really good basketball mm. history. Yep. Um, but I had a lot of friends and colleagues who were commissioners of the Horizon League or the Big West or the Big Sky Conference and, um, you know, the the Colonial. Right. And, and when when George Mason or Butler or Virginia Commonwealth, you know, was, was uh, you know, advancing in the tournament and getting into the Final Four, you know, I... I, I enjoyed that because I felt like I was always an advocate and an ambassador for, you know, for those, uh, those teams from, you know, the, the label, the mid-major label uh, that pretty much in, incorporated everybody except for the, you know, the five or six uh, power conferences. So, so now we're in the conference tournament week, right? And as we're doing right now, um, are you, at, when you're in conference tournament week, did you have like a, a list of, 80 teams or however many teams that you were, that you say, okay, these are the guys. And then you're eliminating people and you're going in there on Sunday with your 69 or your 64 at the time. First of all, the, one of the downsides of being on the committee is that you, you don't get to attend your own, you know, your own conference tournament. And if you're an athletic director and you have a team that, you know, that is a pretty good basketball team, you're not there, you know, to watch them cut down the nets of the, of the big 10 or, you know, in, in the time that I was a commissioner, you know, we had some some pretty decent teams in the in the WAC at the time, and and I uh, I was not able to go to those those conference tournaments. So we arrived in in Indianapolis, um, you know, on you know on Monday, uh, Monday or Tuesday, and we would start preparing. And one of the you know the first things that you did when we got there was to turn in a a a sheet. And back in these days, it was it was not automated as it is today in yeah. terms of, of the data collection. We did a hard copy uh, of 90 teams. 90, okay, 90 that's teams, the number. 90 teams wow. that uh, regardless, you know, regardless of of whether they are automatic, you know, qualifiers or not. And and so we kind of started with that and, and then used that as our, you know, and, and I think from that 90 list, though, I think the NCAA staff would put together a if, you know, if a team got more than one vote, if a team got, you know, okay. myself and another, then it would go to the to be considered pool of teams. Okay. And so the very first time that we would sit around the table, you know, it now might have been whittled down to, you know, to 65 teams or so. And, you know, then it, then it was a matter of, you know, tournament game started, yep. started coming on and, and that, you know, you got, you know, in, in this case, when the committee goes to Indianapolis this week, or they're already there, mm-hmm. there's already a half a dozen automatic qualifiers. Right, right. Some teams are already so those would go. Those would already go up on the board, and and uh, you know, and, and you would do some some uh, preliminary, whether a conference 
even though they had their automatic, is there, is there an at-large team? Is there a team right. in, in the big South conference or the Atlantic sun or, you know, any of the, any right. of the above that, that really deserves, <laughs> you know, any, any at-large consideration. Good example. Last night, the, the West coast conference, yes. this was 20 years. This was 20 years ago when Gonzaga was just, was just getting started. Right. And uh, that would always be a, a, a conference that, you know, do they get a second team? Yes. Gonzaga gets beat, well, do they get a second team? And now they've got St. Mary's and BYU and some other teams out yeah. there that, that, that need consideration. Okay, so you go in with your, your list, but then obviously there's those, there's those inevitable conference tournament upsets where some team that's not maybe not even in your 90 ends up running the table and getting into their turn and winning their tournament. And that who does that throw out? Does that throw out a power five team? Does that throw out their conference champion? You got to make some hard decisions at that point. Well, and, and uh, you know, those conferences generally are the one bid leagues and, right. and you really, you know, you're not going to, they, they didn't steal a team. They didn't steal a spot. And again, okay. they're, they're still going to be a handful of if they don't win their tournament, are they, uh, are they, uh, are they to be considered? And so you would start that. There was also a pretty unique part. You know, you mentioned seating. I, I always thought that, that the more most difficult part wasn't the selection. It was, it was the, the seating, yeah. it was the seating. And then also, you know, there's going to be 32 automatics. Right. And then now they're now today with 68, you've got a, you've got 36 at larges. Right. And, and that's where it really, you know, really kind of gets yeah. down to, to well, uh, evaluating one team over another. And, you know, we, we, the same arguments that, that happened today, is it, is it the name of the, the, the you know the the school on the front of your jersey or is it the you know the players you know there's still unfortunately this belief that that the the power you know the power five power six power seven conferences you know are going to get greater consideration right. and that you know a team from you know the SEC or the AC back in those days it was the ACC and mm-hmm. and the Big Twelve and the Big Ten you know were probably yeah. the most dominant. Uh, yep. conference the SEC at that time was Kentucky you know, was, was was yeah it was a one or two or three yep. teams at best yep. but uh and again I I always wanted to make sure that that a team you know that that got beat in their tournament and and the example that I use Mark is you know is Butler in 2002 had just kind of come on the scene and and they they got beat in their tournament the week before the committee started. Mm-hmm. So they had that early tournament. So Butler is sitting there 28 and one. Yeah. Their only loss was in their tournament and they're on the, they're on the mm-hmm. at large board. And, um, you know, and I'm trying to, to, you know, make the argument, is it the most deserving team or is it the best team? Lifetime, and this, this lifetime argument. It, yeah, it is. And it, you know, it falls over into, you know, into, you know, into the football selection sure today that, and, and I was a strong advocate that, you know, that it's, it's the most deserving team because if you just put five players from Duke against five players from Butler and, and try to say who was the best team, you know, Duke's going to win that argument every time. Um, well, and almost in, in, one, one year they almost didn't remember. No, that's true. That's Hayward, true. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but in, uh, in 2002, the example I was going to use is that Missouri uh, had a had a very very good team in 2002. They were they were preseason top five. Uh, even in early December, they were ranked as high as number two. They may have had some injuries, but they they got into conference play. They finished nine and seven 
in the in at that time the Big Twelve yep. tournament. They they ended up you know getting to the championship game. They they were up against Butler for the very last spot, hmm. the very last spot. And again, I took my set of principles and said that you know here is a team Butler that that did everything they expected it to, and here you have a team like Missouri that underperformed. Uh, lost games that they should have won, and and we're sitting here debating who is the most deserving team versus who is the best. Right. I lost that. I lost that argument. And Butler got left out. Wow. Missouri got Missouri was the last team in, and they ended up being at number twelve seed. Now they were a team that got hot at the end. They enter the tournament as a number twelve seed. They're not really a twelve seed yeah. talent wise. Right. But as the last team in. You know they're going to be a number twelve. So they, they beat they beat number five in the in the proverbial twelve. Twelve beating five. five. Yep. Yeah. They win the next game. They advance to the Sweet Sixteen as a number twelve seed. They are playing the number one seed UCLA, and they beat UCLA. And in my opinion, that was really unfair to the teams that they had to play because. Missouri had no business being a number 12 seed. So anyway, that's, that's an example that I, right. you know, that 20 years, 20 years later here today, I, I still would argue that, that in that case, you know, Missouri well, didn't deserve to get in. How, how about this situation? A couple, I don't know, six, seven years ago, Larry Eustachie had a CSU, a Colorado state team that was 27 and three, got knocked out by Wyoming in the first round of the Mountain West tournament. Wyoming went on and ran the table, won the conference tournament. Colorado state got left out with a 27 and yeah. three record. So that's a conference that has multiple bids. It's not a one-bid conference. I think Wyoming was one of three Mountain West teams that got in. But Wyoming essentially stole CSU's bid. They beat them on the court, and they, they, yeah. but they stole the bid. Going into this year, going into this Mountain West tournament when it starts out, the Mountain West is considered a four-bid league right now by most people. Colorado State's ranked 23rd. Wyoming is ranked is right, on the, right in there, too. But if a UNLV, for instance, wins that conference tournament, does the Mountain West still get five, get five teams in then, or does somebody who lost earlier in the year, a Boise State regular season champion, a San Diego State, a, a Wyoming or CSU, does somebody get left out? Well, this is one of the things that they try to, to tell the public and tell the media that they don't look at conference affiliation. Right. I have a hard time sometimes accepting yeah, I, that. Yep. And, you know, do they, you know, do they have kind of a limit on, how exactly. many teams one conference exactly. gets over another. Um, but in this case, you know, they'll say that, that it won't make any difference and that they'll look at, at all these teams independent of, of what conference they're in. And, and if they, you know, if they're a deserving team or if they are yeah. a, if they're one of the, if they're one of the, here's the, here's the, the, the statement from the committee chairman. Mm -hmm. We, we determined that they were one of the best 36 teams mm -hmm. in the country. Thus, they got in versus they, you know, they, they weren't one of those top 36 because remember, it's those 36 right. at larges that, uh, that become the, the pivotal point. One of the things, and I, I'm assuming that they still have too, that, that is used. There was always a subcommittee of the committee that was delegated to really? look at the last, the last four lines, okay. the, the 13, 14, 15, 16 seed. Trying to trying to make sure that that teams were just automatically slotted in the number sixteen kind of the the label of being a 16, 16 yeah. seed. There was also this was in the early days of the playing games, and generally the you know the two sixteen team 
you know, we right. had to go to and play in the plan before it expanded, you know, from, you know, at that time it was the 65, there were right. 65 teams. And, uh, and so unfortunately, you know, one or two of the historically black conferences, either the SWAC or the MEAC, you know, were perennially getting in those, those playing games. And it, it created some sensitivity and it created a kind of a sense of urgency to kind of spread that, those 16 seeds around, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you hate to say that it was jerry-rigged, but you know, all you had to do is go back in, in history and look mm-hmm. at if a team was a 16 seed, you know, once, once or twice in a row, you know, they're not going to be 16 mm-hmm. on the third year. So they'll get, uh, well, well, they'll now, get placed there. And now they've got a different where the play-in games, there's four play-in games now, right? But they're not always feeding into the 16 seed. Sometimes they're feeding into 13. Some are feeding, and they're all different in all four quadrants. Some will feed into the 12 seed game. How do they determine where that play-in game fits into the larger picture of the bracket? Well, I think the example that I gave with Missouri the year that that they were the last team in, they would have been in this play-in game. Yes. And and I really like I like what what they've structured there because the games that are being played in Dayton are no longer two all 16s, yeah. 16s. Right. And I know that the TV networks uh, really have, have uh, adopted and embraced that because those are, those are games that, that are, are watched and meaningful games and, and the ratings are better for those, those playing games. Yeah. And you know, they, 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 they've tried to eliminate that term playing to, you know, first mm-hmm. four which I think is, you know, is okay. I don't know if yeah. it's been adopted by the, yeah. the rest of the world. You know, it's funny because those first four games still aren't part of the, uh, the bracket challenges. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, and until, until they're part of the bracket challenges, uh, then I think the general public uh, still looks yeah, at them or you're still going to look at them yeah. and play the games. But that, I just think that's fascinating that, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe what they go into whether it's computerized or whatever, or however you guys come up to with it, they rank them one through 69, right? They have a, and then they, they base the seedings off those one through 69. So the first one, two, three, four are the, are the number of one seeds in the various uh, quadrants. Is that accurate? And then, the, so maybe if, they have, maybe, if they, maybe if they have two teams that are tied for 47th, they are a playing game. Does that make, is that how they, they do it? That, that, that is correct. It's, it's called an S curve is, okay. is what they've created. Then, you know, and it, it goes, you know, kind of left to right and come back and, okay. and, uh, and all the seed lines. And, you know, historically, they would never identify who that number, right. who was really the true number one seed. But they've done that now in recent years. So that's created, you know, I think even some more controversy, because a lot of times there was there was not a lot of difference between one of the one seeds and, you know, the next, you know, next two mm-hmm. seeds. Yeah. And, and now, now that S curve is, is identified. And I know there are many times when, you know, and I would, you know, or a committee member would have to call an athletic director or uh, a pissed off coach uh, trying to explain, you know, why they, why they were a five seed and not a four seed. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what that man, I, I remember one particularly, and this was in the early days of, of Gonzaga and it, and it, mm-hmm. it and it also, impacts Wyoming here that we talked about that uh, Gonzaga was expecting to be a, a top four seed and they had you know they'd already kind of been established as a legitimate you know NCAA team and and uh, they had a good season and 
they they didn't make the top four. They got number five. Mark Few was was pretty unhappy, and and he had been unhappy before. And it was one of the conferences that you know that I'd been selected to to uh, monitor, and I I knew Mark, and so I called him on Monday morning to explain to him, and he was you know he was hot that he wasn't a top four seed, uh, that he ended up being five, but he was even angrier that by being a number five seed. He was playing number 12. They were playing in Albuquerque and they were playing Wyoming. You know, this is some of the nuances that, that the committee doesn't really take into consideration is that, you know, you here you've got the better team, Gonzaga, having to go to altitude in Albuquerque and playing a team from altitude. And so he was, he was doubly hot. And then top it off, Wyoming beats Gonzaga that year, uh, and, uh, and he became even even an angrier angrier man after that. Uh, but you know, it it means a lot to coaches, obviously, and it means a lot to fans. And you know, as a committee member, fortunately, uh, you know, we were not as accessible as maybe committee members are today uh, in terms of email addresses yeah. or mm-hmm. phone numbers or whatever. But uh, uh, I remember a, another year I was on the committee with with Chris Hill who was the athletic director at Utah and Mike Slive, who was the commissioner of the SEC and the last three teams. And you'll remember this, the last three teams that got into the NCAA tournament, Utah state was just coming into the, into the whack. They got in air force got in for their first time ever. Yeah. And then Mississippi state was a surprise last team in and a national, you know, basketball writer, Doug Gottlieb, took Mike Slive, Chris Hill, and Carl Benson to task for uh, showing preferred treatment that Benson protected Utah State and Chris Hill protected Air Force and Mike Slive protected Mississippi State and, you know, pretty much uh, put us out there and threw us under the bus and accused us of uh, protecting our wow. own, which, again, it, it happens and. uh I'm still waiting for that apology from yeah, Doug Gottlieb. Yeah, because you weren't covering you weren't covering the WAC. You weren't involved with the no. WAC, so you couldn't no, make it, that decision. You know, and and they also, you know, they always say that when you're, you know, if it's a team from your conference, you know, you're you're outside right, during the right. during the conversation and you don't have a vote. So so let me put this way: so, so you got your S curve, and you've got the number one team in the country overall, and and so the number four team is also number one seed. Does that mean that the Number four team the num- will play will be put in a bracket with the the toughest the, the weakest one seed will be put in a bracket with the toughest two seed. Is that how they do this? It, it is. I mean that's that's the that's the idea. And again, it people who break these things down to determine which is the hardest you know region or who got who got the toughest draw. Oh. It uh, you know and, and now in in analytics, all the analytics <laughs> people are, are even going probably deeper than. Then the committee goes to, uh, you know, to try to determine you know, which which region, and and then you throw in Mark, you throw in the the betting lines now, and, yeah. and the amount of data that 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 they have in terms of defensive teams playing offensive teams, and um, I mean, I my guess is that it's created um, you know so much more you know gambling interest that yeah. was already there in the old days, you know, it was the it was the bracket challenges that that was generating the, you know, that, that turned us all into uh, not all of us because those of us that, yeah. that work in the business we couldn't even play 
we couldn't even play in a, in a except, bracket challenge. Except for Rick. Except, except, except for, for Rick Neuheisel. Rick, Rick Neuheisel, exactly. He got to do it. But, okay, so answer me this, because this is a question a lot of people have. The, the brackets come out, and there's always those really intriguing matchups. So one year, Louisville, I don't think Louisville and Kentucky played each other, but something along those lines. I, I'm sitting here, I'm writing, fantasizing about what could happen um, as a Colorado State fan and alum. And say, listen, if the University of Colorado, they're ranked, they're, they're the four seed in the mountain in the Pac-12 tournament, already beat Arizona once. They're on the outside looking in, according to all the bracketologists right now. They're not going to be in, in. But if they were to beat Oregon or and Arizona and get to the five, and maybe when they say they won the Pac-12 tournament and they got the stole an automatic bid, would the committee look at this and say, hmm, a 10th seed Colorado and a seventh seed Colorado State might make for an intriguing first round matchup. Is there any consideration at all to give it, given to those, that kind of situation where you might be, might set up a really cool matchup or is it all scientific? It's, it's all based on, on numbers. Now, again, as we each evaluate our own, uh, our own votes. And again, in, in my days, it was, it was handwritten ballots. It's right. now the electronic balloting. Sure. And, you know, you would have immediate uh, votes, but, uh, and, and only one person, only one NCAA staff person would, uh, um, you know, would, would notice if somebody was trying to, to jockey. And if, if there was, there, there was, there were times when a, when an NCAA staff member, probably Hancock would, uh, you know, would side up to somebody and, and show them their balance. Is it, are you sure this is what you want to do? And, really? you know, and sometimes they would say yes. And sometimes, you know, they said, oh, yeah, I, I made a mistake. I thought it was Iowa State versus Iowa or something like that. Yeah. But uh, um, but in terms of those, you know, those matchups, uh, there really, really wasn't. The only time that I ever remember where the committee screwed up in the in the bracketing and in the seating was that BYU was placed, you know, as a number seven seed. I'm not just throw out whatever number. But there were always these safeguards because BYU was one of those teams that could only play in the Thursday, Saturday, right. First round right. that fed then into, you know, the Friday or the, the Thursday, Saturday. Right. And this particular year it slipped through and the brackets come out on Sunday night. And sure enough, BYU is, is on the side of the bracket that, that is playing Friday, Friday, you know, Friday Sunday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there had to be a, you know, Mia Culpa and, and uh, Jim Livengood, who was the athletic director at the University of Arizona at the time, was the, the committee member. And interesting enough, you know, he's, he's a member of the church. He's LDS. Wow. And, and, and I, you know, I knew enough about BYU's history that I huh. should have caught it, but uh, neither one of us uh, caught it. And, uh, you know, the committee had, you know, had a little bit of egg on their face, but that's the only time that I can remember that there was ever any real, you know, real egregious error. And it wasn't intentional. It right. just, just fell through the cracks. But, you know, there, there was a lot of, you know, when Bob Knight went from Indiana to Texas Tech, you know, everybody thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if Texas Tech right, played Indiana? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and, you know, we they, don't, never, they don't try to set those and, up. And I, no, and I was on the committee okay. at the time. And, and I remember that there may have been a, an opportunity. But, you know, and then again, some of the rules about, not place, not playing another conference member until mm -hmm. you know the, the the round of eight. You know some of those now though that that conferences are getting yeah it's unavoidable now you know, seven seven yeah. eight nine yeah. bids you can't do it anymore it is it is unavoidable but I tell you what it was what I will say and and Bill 
you know, Bill was the kind of the mastermind along with Tom Jernstead. And there was another longtime media guy by the name of Dave K. Wood and then Jim Marcioni. Mm -hmm. Those guys had the policies and procedures down so much and, and so rigid in terms of, of making sure that there were no mistakes, you know, except for that BYU time. Right. It was, you know, it was really a, a well-oiled machine that, uh, that, uh, that came into that. Okay. So you get to selection Sunday, how much work is really left to be done that day? How much of it is, is in pen instead of pencil? I mean, do, do the outcomes of the conference tournaments on Saturday and Sunday matter that much, or are they pretty much in place with maybe some minor tweaks? Yeah, some, sometimes, and in my five years, there, there were enough, there was enough flexibility and enough options that, that we'd be able to kind of put it to bed early, regardless of what happened in that Big Ten game. Or the Big you know, which 12, was, yeah. Which is, with big, you know, Big Ten, Big 12, that were yeah. those late games. But there were other times when, when it went right down to the wire and, and there were some, there were some close, uh, close calls. You know, we always tried to, and I was fortunate enough that, that there was an Indianapolis to Denver flight Sunday, you know, Sunday evening at six o'clock or so that, uh, you know, that I was lucky enough to always get on. But there were, there were several times when committee members would get stuck in Indianapolis, you know, on hmm. Sunday night. And again, you know, the work is done, but our jobs went then into the early week that we'd get back into our offices on Monday. And we had to, we were assigned uh, one of the eight first and second round sites mm. being the, the primary committee member that, that would go to those sites. You know, we'd call each of the eight athletic directors and congratulate them. And, and again, kind of before social media and, you know, we had to make sure they, they got their packets of information right. that were been hard copies and, and make that contact. And, and then uh, if we were assigned a Thursday site, you know, we would, uh, we would leave on Tuesday and, you know, get to Salt Lake City or Denver or Albuquerque to, you know, to prepare with the, the university that was on site. And probably one of my fond, not necessarily a fond memory, but a, a memory in, in 2003 or four of the, with the, here we are coming up to a snowstorm here in Denver this week. Uh, the, the snowstorm of March 18th or 19th. 2003. Yeah. 2003. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and I was, I was, and Duke, CSU and Duke in Utah that year. I remember. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was originally scheduled to go to Spokane until Tulsa was assigned to Spokane. And they had these last minute that because Tulsa was in the whack, I got shifted to Salt Lake city. I went to DIA on that Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday afternoon and, and uh, actually on a, on the plane that it was the, the last plane that didn't get out the, the plane for Spokane that I would have been on to get to Tulsa went. And, and I ended up being on that plane that, that the Vermont team was uh, first time that, that Tom uh, Brennan had his mm -hmm. Vermont team and they got stuck in Denver. Uh, I made it home that night and sat it out and ended up, uh, being able to drive to Colorado Springs and got on a charter plane with the Vermont team that wow. got to Salt Lake City late, had to play yeah. that 10 o'clock morning game. And, you know, when I look at, at NCA decisions and how people are so critical, you know, here in Vermont, they've got to travel three time zones, two time yep. zones to Salt Lake City. It's their first yep. time in the tournament. They're playing a number one seed. I think they were playing Arizona. Yep. And 
they didn't get into Salt Lake City, and I was with them, so I knew when they got to the hotel. You know, they got to their hotel about midnight, and they had a ten o'clock. They had the first game on Thursday morning, and I was, you know, involved in the decision making. Uh, but I got, you know, I got the the word from the NCA. But Lute Olson, the gentleman that he was at the University of Arizona, he agreed to, you know, to take a later game. And hmm. and there were other coaches who were willing to to kind of give Vermont a, you know, a little bit of a, of a, a, break, of a yeah. help, a little break. And and uh, the NCA said, no, we can't, you know, we can't adjust the the uh, game the time. games because we need to protect the integrity going forward. And and I sure understood that. And Tom Brennan was, you know, was a perfect gentleman. And I still, when I hear him on various national radio shows today, uh, you know, to hear him talk about that first, uh, first trip cross country and getting stuck, yeah. you know, in, in Spokane and then going to Salt Lake City. Hey, Carl, so, Carl, a lot of, lot of good memories. We're going to wrap it up real quick, but I got to ask you, did you enjoy that time? Was it more work than it was worth? Or was it really a, a really cool thing to do? It was cool. And, uh, you know, one of the benefits, uh, you know, committee members, kids get to be ball kids at Final Fours. And my daughter, Jessica, was was a ball girl at the 2004, 5, and 6 Final Fours. And when people ask me what my fondest memory it was, it was standing on the court on Monday night uh, with Jessica when, uh, you know, one shining moment was played. Oh, and, yes. You know, and then, uh, so she and I had had that as one of our one of our fondest, fondest memories. So well, a lot of fun, a lot of work. Uh, probably could have, you know, I told you early on that I did the five-year stint. Uh, I was, I was ready after four to probably call it, uh, call it quits. It's a lot of work and people don't understand that, but I know you guys put in a ton of work. Guys are doing it right now, right as we speak, are doing a ton of work, getting ready for this and to everyone's benefit. Hey, uh, Carl, before I wrap, let let you go here before we wrap it, got a thumbs up and thumbs down this week? Well, right now I'm going to give a thumbs up to the, uh, to the committee because they haven't made any, uh, they haven't made any controversial. Haven't screwed anything uh, up yet. Yeah, screwed screwed anything up yet, and uh, and probably my thumbs down will you know will will go to uh, you know the the fans in the stands last night uh, that that kind of ruined one of those in you know shining moments that Bryant College on the verge of going to their first NCAA tournament uh, that the the fans in that uh, that arena uh, kind of went. Uh, went out of control and uh unfortunately here you know march madness is is emotional but there certainly needs to be uh be safeguards to uh to keep it from being embarrassed we'll be watching this weekend as the tournament brackets are unveiled the conference tournaments finalized and next week we'll start talking about the matchups and and what what's involved and uh who I guess we'll have you fill out your bracket and you tell us who's going to win it. How's that next week? <laughs> Sounds All right? good. All right. There he goes. Carl Benson, former commissioner of the WAC, the commission here on Knudsen of the commission, breaking down what it's like to be on the NCAA tournament selection committee. Carl, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you next week and welcome everybody back to hear more about March Badness. Thanks.